0: Okay, today on the show I welcome Jeff Catch. Jeff is the Chief Impact Officer at the Rodale Institute. Now, widely recognized as a founder of the modern organic movement, the Rodale Institute has been a global leader in regenerative agriculture for over 70 years. Now, Jeff and his team are helping farmers convert from conventional to regenerative farming practices, which is translating into less soil degradation and healthier crops while also growing yields and profitability. Now, they manage their own organic farm and research laboratory in Cutsdown, Pennsylvania, and are establishing on-farm labs across the country that study the impacts of regenerative practices. Now, Jeff and I discuss how the intensive conventional agricultural system is failing humanity on many levels and contributing to a variety of intertwined existential issues, including global warming, the degradation of soil and arable land, deforestation, loss of biodiversity, simultaneously famine and obesity, and the collapse of the family farm. We examine the differences between conventional and regenerative techniques. We probe at the role of global meat consumption and its impacts. We talk about the feasibility of regenerative ag to feed 8 billion people. And we touch on whether there is any positive role for bioengineering. Now personally, I think that regenerative farming addresses so many issues from healthier food to carbon sequestration to reanimating local economies. And I believe this idea can transcend politics and bring us together. So I hope you enjoy my conversation with Jeff Catch. My name is Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. Catch, how are you? Thanks for being here. Jeff Krasno.
1: it is an honor and a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me.
0: So there's myriad interrelated topics that I want to unpack in this conversation. And uh, I sense that it will become abundantly clear over the next 45 or 50 minutes that our intensive conventional agriculture system is failing humanity on many levels and contributing to a variety of existential issues from global warming to the degradation of soil and arable lands deforestation biodiversity kind of this odd simultaneous phenomena of famine and obesity obviously it's its relationship to human health and and chronic disease and malnutrition and then obviously also the socioeconomic components of it from the collapse of family farms and local economies and sadly, the, the list goes peril perilously on from there. But fortunately, there is a solution uh, to many of these issues that has become your life's work. And that solution might be hidden right under our, our nose or, or feet in this particular case. So yeah, but I, I suppose before that great reveal, uh, maybe you can scaffold our conversation just in some background on the Rodale Institute and the focus of your work there, and what inspires you to, to bring your best self to, to that work? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for setting it up in that way, because there is a lot to be hopeful for, and we're going to unpack all of that over the next few minutes. Um, the Rodale Institute uh, is widely known as the global leader in regenerative organic agriculture. We're a 75-year-old uh, nonprofit research and education organization, uh, we're based, our headquarters are here in eastern Pennsylvania, just north of Philadelphia and southwest of New York City. Uh, but we also, we're actually now operating at eight locations across the United States. And our whole mission is to do the necessary research that would equip and empower farmers all over the world to move away from chemical dependent farming towards embracing regenerative organic agriculture. So we're a team of scientists. And then, of course, we're a t- we're also a team of educators who then push all that science out into the world and literally hold the hand of farmers as they make this most noble leap, uh, over to conventional, I'm sorry, from conventional to organic approaches to farming.
0: Yeah. And, um, I have recently consumed the more recent white paper, um, that you guys have published, which is brilliant on, uh, mm. on, on regenerative farming and its relationship to, to soil. And I think we'll get it. We'll get there quickly, but perhaps just at the beginning, you can outline some of the principal techniques that have been commonly used in conventional farming and what are the detriments to those techniques and, and I suppose any benefits to the degree that there that there are some.
1: Sure. Yeah at Rodale Institute, you know, we believe in using biological methods to agriculture. It's basically working with nature and not against it. Uh, we now have a team of consultants that are literally on the on farms all day, every day across the United States. We're now working with over 250 farmers over the last uh, that have signed on over the last 18 months to transition to regenerative and organic methods of farming. And what we're saying to those farmers is, you have everything you need right on your land uh, to empower the best outcomes. And uh, in conventional chemical approaches to farming, um, where they're very reliant upon Uh, chemical methods so using chemistry instead of biology they're bringing inputs onto their farms and into their systems uh, and really treating uh, symptoms as as opposed to looking as at their farm as a whole system so uh, i would say that in regenerative organic agriculture we're we're treating the farm as a whole system uh, working with nature and not against it in chemical conventional farming we're looking at symptoms and then treating those symptoms using synthetic methods, uh, often encompassing heavy tillage, uh, heavy herbicides, heavy pesticides, um, and really lacking biodiversity in those systems.
0: Got it. So you're moving from monoculture to more crop rotation and and diversity, Um, moving from synthetic fertilizers to more natural fertilizers. That is a question. That I think a lot of people have in in the transition is like how, how does how do we manage how does a farmer manage that transition? Um, but and I hope that that you can address that because I think that that is key to potentially a lot of fear um, that that might be associated with that transition. Um, yeah, but maybe you could also touch a little bit about uh, on uh, on some of the other outputs of conventional farming, particularly as it relates to greenhouse gas release, carbon dioxide, nitrous oxide, methane, et cetera? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And
1: and at Rodale Institute, we're really espousing like three main pillars to regenerative organic agriculture, Uh, a focus on soil health. And we do that by using crop rotation, complex crop rotations, uh, making sure that we're not planting the same thing year after year after year, uh, number two, we're encouraging farmers to plant cover crops. Uh, these are multi-species plants that get planted in between your cash crops to build fertility in the soil, to increase biodiversity of both above ground and below ground. And then lastly, we're using compost. Um, that's something that Rhode Island Institute has been practicing and espousing for a long time. So compost, cover crops, crop rotations, and then of course, working with the farmer to reduce tillage. Uh, in con- conventional agriculture, uh, farmers are very reliant upon tillage as a way to control weeds. They're also using a lot of synthetic pesticides uh, to control bugs and herbicides to control weeds. And those ultimately end up in our water and in our air. But more importantly, Jeff is—you know—we're finding that in chemical conventional approaches to agriculture, we're ha- we're really degrading the soil. And so at Rodale Institute, our founder, J.I. Rodale, said um, actually all the way back in 1942, he wrote the words literally on a chalkboard where he said healthy soil equals healthy food equals healthy people. So that's been like our mission statement for over 70 years. It's been the guiding work of our our Rodale Institute. And what we're ultimately saying there in that I think what J.I. Rodale was actually saying in those words is that our job as farmers isn't to produce food what I actually think J.I. Rodale was saying is that our job as farmers is to produce healthy people. And so in in those words, what we're saying is we need farmers to focus all their efforts and energies on improving the health of the soil. And if we do that, we're going to see human and planetary health outcomes unlike any other time in human history. So it's really a paradigm shift right now. We're working with farmers to point towards the soil and not the plant. Uh, towards the soil and not the, the chemical inputs, and if we do that, then everyone's going to win.
0: Yeah, the connection that you seem to be making between farming and health um, is one that I think has been often overlooked. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's the the great quote that "food be thy medicine." However, yeah. farmers. Do not seem to be paying a tremendous amount of attention to human health, and, and doctors do not seem to be paying um, great attention to agricultural practices. And yeah. in a way, what I how I often categorize the work that you're doing is is kind of meta level systems design, <laughs> where mm-hmm. you know you're thinking about these things uh, almost as a set of intertwined philosophical. Uh, principles. Um, so maybe you could unpack that, pull that thread just a little bit in terms of how, um, soil begins to degrade, lose its nutrients, the impact that then that has on, uh, on the food we eat and, and then the health outcomes that that we're seeing. Absolutely.
1: And I, and I'll say, um, before I answer that question fully, that Rodale Institute does not see itself as a agricultural fo- focused organization. We actually consider ourselves a human health organization. We just are using soil health as the tool to get there. So um, actually looking out into our future as an institution, we see ourselves as a convener and we're working behind the scenes right now on some very exciting programs that will launch over the next uh, few months and years that will get medical doctors and farmers to sit at the same table. Uh, we we want to convene a conversation around the intersection of agriculture and human health, as evidenced by the recent white paper that we put out last year called the "Power of the Plate," uh, where we really we actually wrote a scientific white paper authored by doctors and farmers, and we believe that it's we're living at a very critical moment in human history where we need to uh, where we've seen this sort of seventy year march away from. Uh, from agriculture where consumers have become more and more disconnected with source, where, with where their food comes from and how that food was produced. And um, you know, if you go back 70 years ago during the World War II, some 45% of all the produce put on people's plates in this country came from our own backyards. So almost 50% of all the produce in this country consumed during World War II was coming from our own backyards. Today, some 17% of all the food in the grocery store aisles comes from other countries. Uh, concurrent to that, we've seen, you know, on, in a parallel collapse in, in human health, we've seen chronic disease epidemics of great proportion. Um, we're now spending twice as much on healthcare than we are on food in this country. Uh, 3.2 trillion dollars on healthcare every year. So, we uh, we really need. We're living at a moment where Rodale Institute is working to reconnect agriculture. And human health. We need doctors and farmers becoming more literate with one another. Um, I actually have borne witness to this in my own life, Jeff. And you know, I think you and I caught up a little bit last, a few, about a month ago, and I was sharing with you how my own health collapse ultimately led me to do the work I'm doing today. Um, mm. About four and a half years ago, you know, I I felt ill. Like you, you remember, I mean, I was a high performing business leader. Um, I was an athlete, a husband, and um, one day got sick and there was no explanation you know, why I fell ill. It was seven days, 10 days, 14 days. I wasn't getting better and I started getting nervous and I went to a, like a general practice doctor at the local hospital, sat in his office, told him my symptoms, he sent me home to rest. He thought it was the flu. Um, that went on and on for about 90 days where it was back and forth to his office, six different specialists that he sent me to, all kinds of blood work. No one could explain my health collapse. Um, He finally sent me home with a prescription to an antidepressant because he blamed my health collapse on stress. So now I'm home on medical leave and had had to do something. And someone, a good friend of mine, suggested that I seek out a functional medicine doctor. Found a doctor several miles from my home, sat down with him. He kept me in his office for two and a half hours that day and asked me all kinds of questions, ran his own diagnostics, and ultimately found that I had chronic Lyme disease. And he said, Jeff, you know, at this point, you're several months into this ordeal. I don't have a prescription to write to you. I don't have a pill that's going to make you better. And I said, Well, how am I going to heal? And he said, Well, you understand agriculture uh, a little bit anyway. We're going to basically farm your body back to health. We're going to heal you from the soil up. And I swear to God, that's how the conversation went. And um, over the next few months, my doctor, who's still my doctor today, he got me back to full health. Um, it was in that dark, you know, depressing moment where I decided when I got better, I was going to leave my former career um, in in the media industry to give the rest of my life to this work. And it was really that understanding that helped me to see how fundamentally broken both our agriculture and our our healthcare systems are, and how parallel their brokenness is. Where that doctor wasn't looking to treat a symptom with a prescription, or a farmer is often left with treating a pest with a insecticide. You know we're trying to redefine agriculture and healthcare using these regenerative systems-based approaches. So that's really at the corner, that's really a hallmark to the work of Rodale Institute is treating farms as biological systems.
0: Yeah, mm. so much to uh, to unpack there. And thank you for for sharing that story. And I, I apologize for making you do media. <laughs> <today>. <laughs> um, but it, it's, uh, I think you're it's it's not the kind that will stress you out. Hopefully, not um, one bit. But I think you know your personal story is representative of a larger cultural story here. You know we have um, become a, a country dominated by kind of monocrops: corn and soy, uh, wheat. Like ninety percent of our corn and soy are, are genetically engineered. Um, a lot of it is being grown for for animal feed, but also a tremendous amount for synthetic sugars like high fructose corn syrup, which then I think, you know, I read a statistic that if you walk into the supermarket, about 80% of the food on the shelves has some kind of added, uh, added sugar. And then of course, you know, you don't have to make a big leap to see the connection between that and uh, rates of diabetes and prediabetes that are just absolutely staggering. I think last I read, there's a, the the rate of obesity in the United States is somewhere around 43 or 44%. And of course, this is connected in so many different ways. Even if you look at at COVID, one of the greatest indicators for, for aggressive COVID hospitalization and fatality uh, are these comorbidities, you know, like diabetes or or obesity, and there's a high correlation between BMI and and COVID fatality. So th- these things are <laughs> extremely interwoven. Yes. And um, and you guys are looking at it from a from an absolutely important holistic perspective. You know, I, I guess you know the the other big elephant in the room is climate change in all of its permutations. So. Perhaps you could take a moment to talk about the utility of focusing on soil for Mm -hmm. carbon sequestration and to create those carbon sinks and and the scalability that 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 offers us
1: right now. Yeah, there's a a seminal study that has been running for 40 years at Rodale Institute. It's actually the longest running side-by-side comparison of conventional and organic grain crops in the world. So there's no other study that's like it that's run for 40 for four decades. It actually it's called the Farming Systems Trial. It started in 1981 actually. Um Robert Rodale our founder's son was the leader of the Rodale Institute in the 1970s. He was um uh, very active in the food industry and there was a number of leaders in the food industry that were all getting together and watching what was happening. It was around the time when the word organic was coming into vogue and Food brands, food marketers were beginning to put that word on product, but it wasn't really defined under a standard, an accredited standard. And so Bob Rodale was going back and forth to Washington, DC with some other food leaders lobbying our federal government to create a, a federal standard around the word organic. And as you can imagine, he wasn't met with much uh, with <laughs> much fan with yeah. much fanfare. He essentially got laughed out of yeah. the room and sent back. And basically they said to him, you know, Bob, great idea. We totally see where the market is going, but there's never been science done to prove that organic agriculture is even a real viable production method. So Humprodale goes almost to prove a point, comes back to Pennsylvania, uh, starts a self funds, a 12 acre study called the farming systems trial, which is basically where uh, he set up, we set up a system replicating conventional farming. So if you drive around the United States, you mostly see corn and soy production at scale. He, he basically is comparing that kind of agriculture using synthetic pesticides and herbicides with organic and biological methods. So we're, we're growing corn, soy, oats, wheat, rye in sort of this ro- complex rotation over 40 years. Well, nine years into the study, it's now 1990, um, our federal government looks at the data coming off of this study after nine years, and saw that organic systems were actually outperforming conventional farming in terms of yields, so we were out yielding conventional uh, especially in year in years of drought or extreme rain. We actually saw as much as thirty one percent increases in yields in the organic systems while using forty five percent less energy while, while storing more water in the organic systems at deeper depths while uh, sequestering way more carbon and by the way, the farmer was earning between three and six times more profit in the organic system. So nine years into this, that's when our federal government passed the National Organic Production Act. And by 2002, we began to see organic, the organic label on shelves all across the United States. But that study has really been capturing data for four decades that is actually showing, and, and, and we this was evidenced in our most recent white paper, uh, that organic regenerative organic agricultural systems, uh, if they were to be rolled out on U.S. farmlands, could sequester all of our world's carbon emissions in the soil where they belong. So we've actually proven through science that regenerative organic agriculture is the solution to climate change and that we as consumers can play a role in that simply by what we put on our plate three times a day. We actually vote for the kind of world we want to live in. Um, And by the way, I think it's important to mention, Jeff, that this one study uh, has been replicated at five other institutions, including the USDA, Iowa State, uh, University of Wisconsin. There's several other uh, universities and our own USDA who have also replicated the farming systems trial uh, and have seen very similar results. So this is powerful research that's being done across the United States and, and, and ha- having conclusive evidence uh, that is showing that organic farming is more superior to conventional.
0: Some of the reticence that farmers have is that um, is that Roundup Ready crops or BT corn are more reliable and higher yield. Um, and you know, with a, a, an organic or regenerative farm, um, there's this huge learning curve in terms of in terms of uh, managing um, soil nutrients without chemical fertilizers and tackling weeds and insects without herbicides and insecticides and the learning curve is so steep that they can't um, that they can't overcome it but it sounds like you're here to kind of bust that myth and so uh, I guess I'd ask you you know h- how do you approach farmers uh, particularly in a very um, polarized political environment um, you know how do you how do you approach par- farmers and say like hey no th- this transition is actually going to yield uh, is going to give you greater yields and a, and a more profitable farm. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, we start by meeting them right where they are. Uh, Rodale Institute, you know, our approach, our, our consulting approach is never to be dogmatic or preachy. Um, but rather to meet the farmer exactly where they are and say, let's, let's take this journey together. You know, um, first of all, those results that I share with you, Jeff, they, they didn't happen overnight. In fact, in, in the early years of the farming systems trial, the conventional systems actually outperformed organic, but you have to look at the 40-year average and, and to really see the whole story. You know, it's biology. Biology takes time to play out. It doesn't happen in one or three years. It happens over 30 years. But my point, uh, our point is, is to any new farmer that raises their hand and says, I want to transition my operation to organic. We say, okay, let's start where you are and let's start with the soil. Uh, let's let's build a, Let's build a farm systems plan. Uh, and by the way, we're not going to start with corn in year one because corn is a nitrogen feeder. So if you asked your soils to, oh, by the way, we're not going to give you any more synthetic uh, nitrogen. We're going to cut that off cold turkey. And by the way, to the soil, we still want you to grow corn. It's like, no, the soil is not going to do that. So we're going to introduce a biological system of uh, crop rotation that is going to build the soil. So you might start with a cover crop. You might start with hay. You might start with, Soybeans, because soybeans are nitrogen fixers, uh, we might work hemp into the rotation, so we're gonna work with the farmer um, on a plan that's going to lead them to profitability without taxing their soils. and so there is a there is a very um, methodical approach that our
0: consultants take. Yeah, and it sounds like you're also helping to facilitate some of the partnerships that farms may need um, with food providers. Uh, in, in order to give them some stability, particularly over that, those first few years. And so I, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about that, because, you know, I suppose some kind of more fringier elements of, of the organic movement have kind of shunned some of the big food providers and, and castigated them that, as sort of evil big food. And in some cases, they've had certainly deleterious impacts. Uh, on the food system, but but you seem to be trying to reach your hand across um, that chasm and, and work with folks. Is that right?
1: We have to. Yeah, we have to. You know, I know. Uh, Rodale Institute is working with the largest food companies in the world right now, um, and we have to. And we're not going to waver on our mission. We are not going to bend on our ethics or our efficacy. Um, but we will work with any partner that desires to transition land from chemical conventional approaches to farming to these regenerative and organic. We have to, there's too much at stake not to. And so we have recently announced some major partnerships with major food companies. If people ask me all the time, Jeff, like, what is the, what are the barriers to adoption? If, if all that science is true, then why aren't more farmers around the world adopting organic agriculture? There's three major reasons. Number one, um, we've incentivized bad behavior. You know, a lot of our federal policies, with uh, the subsidies and some of the farm bill policies are leading farmers towards bad behavior. So yes, we have some work to do on the policy side, but easier than that, um, these farmers need markets. They need contracts. If a conventional farmer is gonna commit to transitioning to organic, they need to know that the market is gonna be there to catch them, that the market isn't going to be fickle. And so we need food brands to be giving long-term contracts to farmers, like five to 10 year contracts. To guarantee that farmer that the market's there, and then the second is uh, technical assistance. You know, up until this point, there's there's no place for farmers to go to get advice. You know, most of the land grant universities have been in many ways co-opted by big big ag um, that funds a lot of these extension offices. So if a farmer uh, historically would go to the land grant university to get advice, like here in Pennsylvania, it's Penn State University not to pick on them, but a lot of these big land grants, you you can't get the knowledge and technical assistance. Uh, but now, Rodale Institute is actually offering free consulting to any farmer in the state of Pennsylvania, because we have a very progressive governor here. We're, we're the number two producer of organic food in the nation, and our and our state governor wants farms to transition organic. So he's giving free consulting to farms through Rodale Institute. So now, And we want to roll that out across other states. We're we're hoping to scale that across the United States. So now you've got long term contracts, you've got technical assistance, and then the third piece is lending. A lot of banks are very um, risk averse. They've traditionally and historically been risk averse, but we're beginning to see new lending institutions like Rabobank announce ag lending for organic transition. So it almost feels like Jeff, like we're living at like like our time has come. Like we're living at a moment in history where uh, the stars are aligning. Uh, the markets are beginning to form around organic transition. There's certainly consumer demand um, at, that's at an all-time high, and so we're living in a very t- exciting time. And I and I think what I what I want your listeners to understand is they actually play a role in this. You know, every consumer votes three times a day based on what they decide to put on their plate. So if we if we can engage consumers in this movement to vote with their dollar to support farmers in their community that are growing food in harmony with nature using regenerative and organic and biological processes and supporting those farmers, we can actually begin to single-handedly play a role in accelerating the adoption of regenerative organic farming.
0: Yeah. And I wonder if you could also address, um, Uh, the mythology surrounding regenerative farming's ability to actually feed a planet that is careening towards 10 billion residents. And uh, there seems to be a confusion here between famine and food shortage and and really kind of bifurcating those things. I mean, I've read statistics uh, about wealthy countries wasting uh, upwards of 40% of our food both at the retail and consumer level, I think both, both play a part in that. And then obviously in more developing countries, there seems to be lack of uh, some infrastructure in the dissemination or distribution of food. So uh, I wonder if you can just tackle that main issue of can regenerative farming feed the world? Our, our response at Rodale
1: Institute would be, how could it not? You know, sitting on four decades of data that would uh, that, that, can be, that has been replicated around the United States. There is no question that organic farming systems can yield or outyield conventional agriculture. That has been proven through science. Secondly, we, uh, our newest study here at Rodale is called the Vegetable Systems Trial. So this is actually the first side-by-side comparison in the world that sets out to answer the question, is organic food truly more nutrient-dense? Is it worth the price premium? Is organic food for real? And so this vegetable systems trial is, a, is is the first study of its kind that is comparing organic, organically grown and regenerative organically grown vegetables to conventionally grown. And what we're finding through this science is there is this phenomenon called hidden hunger. So you're absolutely correct in everything you just said. Well, there's no shortage of food, at, certainly in this country. But what's lacking is nutrients in that food. We are walking around as a society with hidden hunger. We are overfed and undernourished because of how we've managed our soils. Over the last 40 years, through the application of synthetic pesticides and herbicides, we have so decimated, so depleted our soils from vital nutrients that uh, we are a country that is uh, eating food, but the food is devoid of vital nutrients. And so we uh, at Rodale Institute have you know, proven that misnomer that organic can't feed the world. That's not. That's simply not true. What we all should be concerning ourselves with is: is the food we are eating uh, filled with the vital nutrients we need to survive as a species? Um, some early data coming out of our vegetable systems trial. Uh, so we send all of our samples off to a third-party laboratory to be analyzed and to be verified, so that you know the, the science can be peer-reviewed. And uh, some some samples were sent off to a laboratory last year, uh, purple potatoes that were grown organically and purple potatoes that were grown conventionally. And the samples were sent to a very sophisticated laboratory in the Midwest. And I was having a conversation with one of the scientists at that laboratory shortly after the data. Now this data that I'm about to share is not published or peer reviewed yet, but early analysis is showing that there were 26 compounds, phytonutrients, micronutrients, Um, amino acids that existed at rates of 100 to 700 times higher in the organic purple potatoes than in the conventional. That data is only coming off of land that's been transitioned. That study is only four years old. So can you imagine, Jeff, where are we going to be in 40 years? If we're getting that much of a disparity in the organic crops versus the conventional after only four years, my gosh, like there's something seriously wrong with the way we're producing food in this country.
0: Yeah. And I've got to imagine that's all tied back to the nutrients in the soil, right? It's Um, all
1: tied back to
0: how are we managing the soil? Correct. Yeah. So the hydrology of the soil, the microorganisms that are able to effloresce in in the soil that then can help to produce healthier vegetables. And I guess I got to ask you, are we even growing vegetables? (laughs) Because because when I, um, you know, when I see, when I drove uh, across country, as I did many times uh, in my younger days, um, was a a lot of cash crops. And of course that's not, you know, vegetables are probably not what you're going to see from the highway, but I am curious if you can answer that question.
1: Yeah, we're, we're, most of the food in this country. I mean, for example, Rodale Institute re- recently opened a campus in Iowa because we're trying to solve, n- number one, I- Iowa is the largest commodity producing crop uh, crop state in the country. So, you know, Iowa grows a lot of corn and a lot of soybeans. Uh, however, if you're a resident of Iowa, Jeff, you can't buy organic. It's very difficult to find organic food. So Iowa, which is a farm and ag state, is actually a food desert. And so Rodale Institute has set up a satellite campus there with two main objectives. Number one, we want to impact positively the grain farmers that are producing conventional corn and soy. A lot of that corn and soy goes to industrial and ethanol purposes. So, you know, the soybeans go to make ink, the corn goes to make ethanol, and the residents of Iowa are undernourished. And um, we're trying to change that. We want to create pathways for farmers to begin growing regenerative organic vegetables in that state um, simultaneously while we regenerate our soils through a new way of farming grains. Um, and so, yeah, you're absolutely right. This, we, do, we, we produce a lot of commodity crops in the United States, and we're becoming more and more reliant on importing our, our vegetables into this country. You know, what happened last spring? Um, we, hit, we have a pandemic, and the, gro- the grocery sh- store shelves went bare. Well, that's because we're so reliant on a global supply chain, yet would you believe that last year the National Gardening Association reported that 22 million new gardens were planted in the United States last year? Uh, Direct farm sales. So so consumers trying to buy produce directly from farmers in their community increased by 420% year over year. So sadly, it took a global pandemic to accelerate positive change, but the silver lining in it all is that I think um, consumers are waking up to the fact that we are an under we are an undernourished society. We have an immune system problem in this country. And if we're going to empower human health, we need to build relationships with farmers. We need to begin growing food in our own backyards. And so I think we're living at a very hopeful time. I think a lot of positive change is coming.
0: Yeah, Um, well, that is heartening that to know that the demand is there. Right. Um, Yes, uh, I wanted to take a moment and probe a little bit at the role of meat in regenerative agriculture or biodynamic farming, and I suppose at a meta societal level as well. I've recently read that more meat was consumed in 2019 than in any year in history. Even though there does seem to be a growing awareness about some of the health implications of meat and, and the, the lack of sustainability of the systems around creating meat. But, but as the, the, the developing world grows, there's just more and more demand for it. And um, it, it, this is problematic on many levels. Obviously, there is a, a massive greenhouse gas emission component with meat, particularly with methane emissions from, from CAFOs. All of the energy inputs that are required to produce one calorie of uh, meat—I think I read that there's nine calories of energy that has to go into producing one calorie of chicken. You know, Uh, and and that's the most, um, uh, and that's the best—that's the best meat in terms of energy input. Obviously, the overuse of antibiotics, which is creating resistance, the you know disease risk. Uh, Mm -hmm. animal welfare, (laughs) you know, you can go down the list uh, uh, of things. But obviously, livestock and the introduction of livestock does play an important role in regenerative farming. So I wonder if you could just take all that and um, and bracket uh, uh, the the role of animals on the farm uh, uh, in ways that you're talking about. Yeah.
1: One thing I will say right off the bat is animals do not belong in confinement. You know, we talked about Iowa a moment ago, and essentially we have broken a biological system. We've taken all of the animals that were once on pasture. If you think about the buffalo that, rain, that, that, that that migrated from Georgia all the way up into Saskatchewan, you know, for thousands and thousands of years, there was sort of that biological process uh, of rumination playing out. And then, you know, lives, our livestock industry, we, we, we once grazed animals with cropping systems, and now we've totally separated them. We grow grains on, on conventional farmland, and then we take all the animals and we put them into feedlots. Um, and so that is a fundamental breakdown. And at Rodale Institute, we believe that animals, crops, and livestock belong all together. So what we're, what we're espousing are integrated systems where you're rotating animals with grain crops, and you're beginning to use animals as a tool to improve soil health. So here at Rodale Institute, we, we build scientific models. Um, right now, about 300 yards from where I'm sitting to doing this very interview, there's a fascinating study going on. Uh, I believe it's with the University of Wisconsin, with the University of Wisconsin, where we uh, built a rotation. Where last year there was corn and other grain crops and leguminous crops grown on several plots of land, where we then pasture raised pork, so pigs, and then the pigs are being rotated with chickens. So what happens is you begin to build this biological symphony where the animals are now rotating through where you were growing grains and you're improving the health of the soil through rumination. And then the chickens play a, uh, play a role in keeping the parasite load down on the pigs. And so that was the way Mother Nature intended us to, to grow food, uh, animals and, and plants together in harmony. Now, are we espousing for meat consumption at Rodale? That's, I think that's everyone's choice, but what we are saying is that animals absolutely, definitively belong in agricultural systems. Yeah,
0: yeah. It it feels like what you're proposing um, in this transition to regenerative farming feels on one level uh, like very apolitical. Um, And I, I see it as something that can actually cross- political divides in a time that is obviously fraught. Um, now obviously you're also going up against a lot of, um, entrenched interests with, um, with significant, uh, you know, wallets that are spending, you know, lobbying, uh, dollars. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the gorilla, um, you know, Monsanto or Bayer, you know, with with, with glyphosate and, and Roundup Ready crops, et cetera. Um, how do you navigate this politically or do you see a sociopolitical dimension to the work that you're doing? Jeff, this is something that I've been spending a
1: lot and a lot of time contemplating in my own personal life, in my own spiritual life. Um, the question, the, the way in which I'm about to answer your question, this is, this is this, this is my non-scientific answer. Um, But, you know, as I look back over history, any great healing that's ever happened on on this planet happened around a table. It happened around a meal. And I wonder, you know, looking out in in my world that I live in day in and day out here at Rodale Institute, this is a bipartisan issue. This is a sanctity of life issue. You know, the ability to eat healthy food on a healthy planet is a sanctity of life issue. And. What I'm beginning to see literally on a daily basis is that the Midwestern 65-year-old male grain farmer has everything to do with the 28-year-old tech entrepreneur in San Francisco. They are inextricably linked as people because that 28-year-old tech entrepreneur wants to be able to walk into a Whole Foods in downtown San Francisco and see organic chicken or to see... uh, organic oatmeal on the shelves. And guess what? That tech entrepreneur is really really reliant on that grain farmer in the Midwest having a healthy contract from a from a food producer in order to get that product to market. And so I believe that it is very possible that regenerative organic agriculture will be the great healer of our time. I do believe that we are living at a moment where right and left will come together around a table and we will re, we will reunite around agriculture. And that agriculture will be the great healer of our time, and that's what I'm seeing play out every moment of every day right now. And uh, it's a very, very exciting time to be alive. And um, it is a non-political issue to eat food produced in harmony with nature.
0: Beautiful. I know that that I want to be respectful of your time. I have one last question for you, though. I'm tempted to to leave it there on that uplifting message, um, but. I wonder how you see the role of technology um, interrelated with regenerative farming. Uh, <laughs> like, I'd like, I, now I know, I know that you guys have, uh, well, I'll, I'll leave it there. And I'll just, with, with one last appendage, which is is there a role for bioengineering within the context of sustainable or organic farming? Mm. The reason I laughed at that question, Jeff, is because the call I'm jumping to after
1: our our conversation concludes is with a uh, product developer to build some technology to support uh, organic transition. <laughs> so, so uh, Rodale sure. Institute is is very pro technology. Um, you know, or farmers love technology. Uh, in fact, anything yeah. that's going to make their life easier is going to accelerate positive change. We believe there's a tremendous role in, uh, you know, in technology for record keeping for farm practices for soil health management, for um, regulatory, et cetera. Um, do we believe in gene engineering or, you know, genetically modified crops? No, we don't. Um, not, not at all. But, uh, but good organic farmers are using satellite and drone technology every day. We're, using robo- We're now beginning to introduce robotics and, um, and GPS technology. There's, there's all kinds of great technologies out there that will accelerate positive change we don't believe in, in technology that's engineered in a laboratory, uh, in other words, under a microscope in a chemistry format, but um, all else is pretty much on the table, I think.
0: Hmm. So we've got 100 million acres of farmland in the United States, more or less, although I, I, I see that number decreasing a little bit year over year. How much of that is currently being regeneratively utilized? It's hard to say. It's hard to say. It's probably
1: around one percent right now in the United States, but the acceleration of that change is happening by the minute. Um, our, you know, our consultancy that I mentioned to you uh, was not even in existence 18 months ago, and we've n- we've now got several hundred thousand acres under management uh, and growing. Um, but we're seeing this play out. I mean, m- multinational food companies are committing to regenerative transition. And, and we're talking about millions of acres. We just spoke to a farmer down in Argentina last week. It's a family farm uh, that owns 80,000 acres that they want to transition. So we're, we're seeing dramatic acceleration. It's happening right before our eyes. And you know, economic theorists believe that it's not, the tipping point for this movement isn't 15, 50%, it's actually 15%. So we're, right. we're, we're getting close.
0: And if you are a farmer, and you have the um, the means and the interest to transition. How do they go about getting the information that they need to accomplish that? Sure. Uh, uh,
1: from our end, it's very simple. It's just rodellinstitute.org. You can click on the consulting tab. You'll see a, a little form you can fill out there. It'll be linked to one of our consultants. They're very responsive um you know i'd be thrilled to hear from anyone uh, listening to this episode that is interested in uh connecting with our organization uh in an effort to help uh transition um but we're very easy to get a hold of and we're very eager to work with you
0: Thanks for listening to my conversation with Jeff Katch. To learn more about the great work happening at the Rodale Institute, visit rodaleinstitute.org. And feel free to email me comments and suggestions at jeffk at onecommune.com. And of course, if you like the show, leave us a review. That's all from the Commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasno, and I am here for you.